Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today we're going to be talking about things you didn't know about Mary Magdalene. That's right. We're going to look at the great woman saint of the New Testament and share things with you you didn't know, like was she really a prostitute, was she married to Jesus, and so much more. As John Paul II called her, the apostle to the apostles. Let's learn more about Mary Magdalene. The Apostle to the Apostles. That's such an interesting name that was given to her by John Paul II, correct? Yeah, and you know, to think of the evangelization that took place, the good news of Jesus' resurrection, really at the proclamation and testimony of Mary Magdalene is a very important role in the, in the mystical nature of the community that surrounded Jesus in his public ministry, and Mary Magdalene being a very special person mm. in that public ministry and her great love for Christ uh, that still emanates today. It yeah. speaks a lot about the complementarity of men and women and service to Christ and, and love with him, right, and, mm -hmm. fol and followers of him. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the title of the Apostle of the Apostles, I think it points to the role that women can have in the church that's rightfully theirs and that how they can edify the church without having to be the same as men, you right. know? It shows that the feminine genius contributes so much to the church and has since the very, very, very beginning, since the first Easter. So Yeah, the capacity of yeah. impact is identical. Like, it's Absolutely. Like the, the capacity the, of impact. I like that. And, and you know, the, the sense of Mary Magdalene and who she was in the mystery of salvation you know, I, I can't help but think about the amazing work that The Chosen did in that first episode and, you know, where he liberated Mary Magdalene, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's some uh, things that are taken yeah, we're liberties, gonna which we're going to get yeah. into that because Mary Magdalene is probably the most misunderstood person in, in light of scripture and tradition. Mm -hmm. And it, I think it's going to be very helpful this episode to really come to a very uh, close and accurate uh, depiction of who Mary Magdalene is. Was. Yeah, a lot of people have asked us to do an episode on Mary Magdalene. You know, we've done episodes on particular saints, St. Saint Peter, St. Paul, St. Francis, and this is our fourth one in kind of this series, and we're focusing on St. Mary Magdalene here. Um, and we're going to talk about in this episode things like, was she a prostitute? Were her and Jesus married? Is there a secret gospel of Mary Magdalene? Um, and then a really cool thing at the end that I want to share with you guys is what Mary Magdalene actually looked like by a digital recreation using her relics. So that's gonna be really cool. So stick around to see that. Now, Mary Magdalene was mentioned more in the New Testament than any other woman besides Jesus's mother, Mary, Blessed mother, yeah. right? And she's mentioned more than most of the apostles. Mm -hmm. She was a very, very important figure and in, in, in Christ's ministry. And one of the things that's pretty interesting is that well, how did she get into that role, right? How did she, you know, get so intertwined with the apostles that she was basically traveling around with Jesus mm -hmm. and the apostles? You know, she was probably hanging out with the 70, hanging out with the 12, you know, and there for a lot of these moments, you know, that uh, scripture is based on. So, uh, so where did she come from? She came from Magdala, right? There's a city called Magdala, and Ryan near you, Tiberius. We're, we're going there we're, on our uh, that's trip right. to the Holy Land. Mm -hmm. We're going to that town. Yeah. We're going to see a, a Jewish synagogue. She likely 
I participated in an archaeological course in seminary where it culminated in a Magdala dig. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are still discoveries being made in that region of Magdala. And it's it's adjacent to the Sea of Tiberias. And, you know, to realize that as Jesus was in his public ministry in and around the Galilee, he most certainly would have been in Magdala. And there's a great and strong tradition that that is precisely where Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, right. was from. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned this synagogue there. It's, uh, I think, the it's oldest, the oldest ex- existing yeah. synagogue from that period. And Jesus would have likely have preached in that synagogue. 100%. Now, the, the name Magdala, you know, there's some contention. Some say it has to do with, like, a hairdresser, right? You know, it has the sense of somebody who like curly, curly, curly hair. hair or curly hair. But most scholars will agree that it comes from the word... Um, which, would, which would mean kind of like a, a, an adulterous <sighs> harlot yeah, type you know, of... Yeah, a fat. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, if we're being... Putting it in, in modern, yeah, terms. modern terms. But most people would say that it comes from Magdala Nunaya, which is basically the tower of the fishes or the place where fishes are salted. Right. right? Now, salting fish in the ancient world was that was that was like the bakeries and like that was the food distribution. That was an incredibly big thing. And you know, chances are, if this was during the Roman period, they were making something called garum. And garum was basically the ketchup of the ancient world. It was was like a salted fish condiment that was on every food added to every dish. Now, Mary Magdalene, it's pretty likely that she was a rich widow, okay? Because she is one of the women who help bankroll and support the ministry of the apostles. And how often is that true in today's world still, that the women are the ones who are financially... And ensuring that the church can go on, you know, yeah. the, 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 <laughs> the great generosity I'm ex- I'm of our female patriots. I'm experiencing you know? it right now with a, ca- a public capital campaign. Yeah, you know where you know women have come to the forefront of the capital campaign <clears throat> yeah, effort, to, uh, help. and yeah. and they are they are most generous. And and you know at times they'll even say, you know, Father, pray for me because I'm breaching this conversation with my husband, and it's a hard conversation, but I I want to really support this campaign and I believe in it because of the heart of the mission. Like women, you know, rally between, you know, behind the heart of the mission of Christ without a doubt. Yeah. Luke 8, 3 says the women were supporting Jesus and the apostles out of their means. Yep. Look at the women of Jerusalem. Look at how many women like gathered around Jesus throughout his public ministry. And like you said, Mary Magdalene is the most prominently referenced Mm -hmm. outside of the Blessed Mother. So she would have been, again, Probably a rich widow who was supporting, you know, I mean, like the apostles got to eat too, right? They got to walk around. They got to have places to live. They, you know, they blow out a sandal or whatever. They need to be able to replace it, right? They were probably providing food for the people they were preaching to it a lot of times, right? And providing charity, um, making offerings at the temple. So Mary Magdalene was bankrolling. It was the Patreon of the apostles, right? Now, one of the things that is really a big misconception about Mary Magdalene is how she was called, right? And it gets confused because there's a lot of people named Mary in the New Testament. Yes. There's, I think, four yeah. separate Marys, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so Mary Magdalene in Scripture is described as having had seven demons driven from her. Mm. Now, because of that, it's, it's kind of, it's a very brief passing uh scripture it's in Ma- it's in Mark 16 and in Luke 8 
like, oh, and Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons driven out of her, and that's it. There's mm -hmm. no context. So was this an exorcism? Was she, were these the seven deadly sins? Uh, some scholars are saying it's maybe likely that, you know, she had a pretty bad illness, you know, and that Jesus cured her of. Because a lot of times you'll see people who were sick or paralytics, you know, they had demons driven out by Jesus that cured them. So was she a sinner or was she sick? And is that how the exorcism, you know, happened with Jesus that led her to following was she, Jesus? Was she possessed in the manner that the chosen depicted her? At, yeah. You know, like all of these things. And are... that's really maybe it's 50-50 or even less yeah. likely that it was maybe more likely that she was sick and Jesus healed her in the form of demons being expelled. Now, because of that, there's been the big slander. And I think this is one of the big things of this episode is, was Mary Magdalene a prostitute? Everyone thinks Mary Magdalene, you know, she was, a, I mean, even if you look in... Um, Where do they draw that from? The woman caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, and, and if we look at that scripture, Shields pulling that up, this is John chapter 8, verse, starting with verse 1. While Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning, he came to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, this, this gospel passage, you know, in no way does it refer to Mary Magdalene particularly. I think, right? it, I think it precludes it from being Mary Magdalene because he says, go on your way, mm -hmm. which, you know, not follow me, which Mary right. Magdalene obviously yep. did. But this is the... There's, and then there's other Marys too. They, yeah. they literally say mm -hmm. the other Mary, like, you know, in some of the... And it's like, okay, we don't know which one that is either. So yeah. what happened is... So See, you what had happened was... No. It would happen. So what happens here is that you have all these Marys and you have the woman caught in adultery. You have the repentant sinner washing, washing the feet of Jesus with her hair and with the oil and her tears. And they all get conflated into one person, mm -hmm. but it's obvious that they're not. And a lot of this goes back to an Easter homily by Pope Gregory the Great in 591. And he was kind of comparing all of them, right? He was comparing all these women in, you know, these different instances of women being encountered with Jesus, and they got conflated into one. We're like, ah, Mary Magdalene, she's a prostitute. I mean, growing up, that's what I heard, you know, Mary Magdalene, she was a prostitute. Mm -hmm. You look at, um, well, what was the movie with Jim Caviezel? It's the, the, uh, the, the Passion, the, the of, the Passion Christ. of Christ. You see you know, her getting stoned and dressed mm -hmm. like a harlot mm -hmm. and then see her you know, among the women. That's not true. Mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene, that's a big historical slander. She and, was not a prostitute. And that's, and that's, I'm so glad that we're having, that we're talking about this in the show because we need to be precise scripturally. And, you know, there are so many embellishments that, 
you know, cinema and, and movie mm-hmm. making and storytelling and even catechizing our kids, we just kind of blanket these things in the same manner that this this homily kind of showcases yeah. that that in uh, the delivery. Well, there's a presumption here. I mean, I think sometimes we presume things because we want to know more or like experience more of the human nature of a lot of these people in relation to Christ and you know they do, they do it in the chosen too i'm sure of that but i don't think it's malicious it's just no. good storytelling mm-hmm. you know right right yeah and i you know it, it's good storytelling but at the end of the day we don't know mm-hmm. at all i mean she, she could have been a prostitute i mean right. i could be a prostitute i don't know i don't know i don't know but probably not and she probably wasn't either right uh, i haven't seen you on the corner yeah, not yet. <laughs> uh, I'm out there preaching. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you do look at Luke chapter 8, do you want to read this for us? Sure. Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, he journeyed from one town and village to another, preaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Accompanying him were the twelve and some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. So again, back to what Sheil was saying, and then you know what comes to us in the end of the Gospel of Mark as well, is the sense of Mary Magdalene as it relates to seven demons. Mm-hmm. So focusing on Jesus casting out the this disease of spirit in in a way where Mary Magdalene is experiencing Jesus's power to exercise and to liberate, we begin to see Mary Magdalene and uh, her response to Jesus after he exercises her as being someone who accompanies him, mm-hmm. but also from the resources that she has, she is funding and supporting the ministry of Jesus. Yeah, and it was likely, I mean, from what I've studied, likely Mary of Bethany, who was the the one who wiped, his, wiped uh, Jesus's feet, she was the one who was probably sexual sins. And she was one of the um, relatives of, you know, of Bethany of Lazarus, Lazarus. right? Yeah. So again, there's so many Marys and Mary's such a common name. And it's, I, I mean, I mean, most of our Mary. listeners probably think that too. So mm-hmm. dispelling and that, I think And there's probably thousands of Marys listening to this right yeah. now too. Hi, Marys. Hi, Marys. Hi, Marys. How you Big doing? Big shout out to Marys. Mary. Yo, Mary, what up? But that's why she was also <laughs> called, they called her Magdalene. Right. Yeah. Well, no, again, no, here's, a, here's an important thing about that. In the Bible, most women are named the wife of, you know, choose us or whatever. Like, they're the wife of whomever, right? So that's how they are distinguished. But rich women are of the city, Mary Magdalene, Mary of Bethany, whatever. So I keep, that's another exegetical tool that Mary Magdalene was probably pretty rich. I mean, she had that. Salted fish money, Lots right? Fish oil, yeah. She had salted all, fish money. She was a salted fish millionaire, and she was bankrolling cash Jesus. You know, money, bro. <laughs> cash money, cash money, yeah, Salt, salted fish money. I love it. Do you know any salted fish women who are supporting your parish? <laughs> I'm looking for them. I, yeah. need, I need their help. See, what you need to be doing is looking for the fish processing plants. I mean, if you want to really be an altar Christus, right? You're out here trying to find I'm over people by the sea too. You're I trying to find, find like you know. 
you know, Bitcoin women who can support your church. No, man, salted fish salted is where it's fish at. Salted fish is where it's That's at. That's what Ralph Delacrosse would have said. Invest in Nocatee and salted <laughs> fish. Thanks, well, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Um, right, getting back into it, Mary Magdalene was one of the most important things she did was she was a witness and she ministered to Christ during his passion. Mm -hmm. She was among the women of Jerusalem. Uh, she was there with Our Lady, with the other Mary, Mary Clopas, right? Uh, so again, you know, looking at this title, Apostle of the Apostles, all the other apostles had left besides John. But Mary Magdalene, she had more courage and strength and conviction than you know, Peter or James or Andrew or whomever who had all skipped Dodge, right? They didn't want to be caught. Mary Magdalene was there, you know, with Our Lady, which I think is a really, I think that shows you again that, you know, women, while maybe not physically as strong as men, definitely oh, have the kind of strong. internal fortitude and the yeah. fidelity that men sometimes can lack. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, and I think strength can can be applied to different uh, facets of, <clears throat> of human existence. And there are clearly greater strengths that women have that men do not have. Mm -hmm. And then there's strengths that men have that women do not have. But it is the complementary nature between the masculine and the feminine that gives the sense of the fullness of the of the human experience. Mm -hmm. You know, and even in Jesus's public ministry, the fullness of his experience as God is manifest uniquely through uh, men and women, you know, so his relationships with the apostles is uniquely different than his relationship with all of these Marys, with the Samaritan woman, with the woman at the well, you know, and particularly with Mary Magdalene in, in these occasions of uh, accompaniment and support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The complementarity of a man and a woman, you know, just in in my own marriage, it's, it's, it's kind of a mystery too. You mm -hmm. know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's unfolding it's in a way. It's unfolding. Yeah. 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 Mm. They they make they made songs about that. I mean, it's like <laughs> incredible. <laughs> like when a man loves a woman. That was a song about Jennifer and Ryan Delacross. <laughs> oh uh, my god! The mystery was unveiled. Wow, wow, this one's going crazy. Okay, so, um, so she was she was there at the crucifixion. She was also there at the burial. Yeah. Okay. So she was there ministering to Our Lady, you know, in her grief, in her suffering, after having seen her son crucified, mm -hmm. died, and buried, she was there. I mean, it's likely that, you know, I always think about this. What was Jesus, what was Mary doing on Good Friday evening? What was she doing on Holy Saturday? You know, mm -hmm. you, you never really think about that. I mean, you guys have all went to funerals, right? Yeah. And then, you know, you bury your dad, and then, and then you walk away and like, now what? Go eat or something. Go eat or something. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? Watch Absolutely. TV. How do you get back on with life, right? Well, we we do know that they were all they were all somewhere on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, and they came back and and shared the the news. Yeah, but I mean, it's um, likely that Mary Magdalene was with Mary that night, making oh, her that she's... meal that she probably didn't want to eat. You know. So you know, thinking of Mary Magdalene as first witness of the resurrection. How fitting for her heart's experience to be at the foot of the cross witnessing somebody whom she just so deeply loves. And we see that love paired in the sense of the witness because, you know, Jesus is saying, do not cling to me. You know, this, this sense of uh, being drawn to the person of Christ and, and Mary's feminine response to Jesus uh, and, and the greatest masculine act of all time, defeating death. Uh, wants to cling to Jesus, so we we see this this love 
But then she is the woman at the foot of the cross as well, mysteriously experiencing a broken heart. So, you know, I, I love going back and forth between uh, Mary's extreme trauma, Mary Magdalene's extreme trauma. A lot of times we think of the Blessed Mother so often with that, that traumatic experience, but Mary Magdalene's traumatic experience um, as well is something unique and something to kind of look through the lens of, and then how that is met and then employed as an instrument of witness as the apostle to the apostles and the very first witness mm -hmm. of the resurrection. Yeah, I mean, Mary Magdalene mm -hmm. was going on Easter morning because, remember, Jesus' burial was not complete. They didn't have time to do the proper anointing and, and all the flowers and the oils. So she was going back, you know, still being faithful, even after now it's three days later, and now this is really now, now I'm just going back to take care of business, you know? And she was the first one to witness the empty tomb. Now... This is a really important fact that I think even skeptical biblical scholars would say is true. And here's why. No one would have said, if they were trying to convince the ancient world, that it was a woman who was the first witness to an incredulous event. Because women weren't even allowed to testify. Their testimony was not even valid in a court of law. I mean, even the word testify comes from an oath taken by putting your hand on your testicles right? Mm -hmm. you Women could not give testimony because they were not viewed as reliable. So there is no way a gospel writer who was trying to convince the world that this was true would have made up that it was a woman who saw Jesus resurrected. You would have said, oh no, I mean, it was a centurion, obviously, they, you know, you could trust them. But a woman? You wouldn't have put that there. So biblical scholars say this is you know, even if they don't believe in Christianity, say that's a fact that this mm -hmm. is what they all truly believe and truly happened, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. really an interesting. And the point. fact that they recorded it, yeah. and, and now it's been passed down. But in that, <laughs> in that kind of sits in Laban, the 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 looking at the circumstances of their sociological framework, mm -hmm. you know, to realize that polarity of of that is is important. And I'm glad you brought that up because. You know, the fact that this is recorded and communicated in the gospel. All four of them. Uh, yeah, and all four yeah. accounts. Like, that, that's You don't make that detail up. Because all of those gospels, <coughs> excuse me, all those gospels are being administered to different communities. Yeah. So even the fact that the authors of these gospels are not exercising sensitivity because in other aspects of the Gospels, they are exercising sensitivity to deliver the message to particular communities. They do not exercise sensitivity to communicate that truth. So this is from, Something's being said there, then. Yeah, so this is from John 20, uh, and this is the empty tomb. This is Easter morning. Uh, would you read that for us here? Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still lying, <clears throat> still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. 
They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Right there, the news. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. And what is the news? It's the good news. It's the gospel of the resurrection. He is resurrected from the tomb and he is ascending to the Father. And she went to the disciples. And this is how she earned that title, the apostle to the apostles. Mm. She is the one who announced the resurrection to Peter, to the first pope. She's the one who preached Preached to the apostles the news, the good news. So that's a really important aspect. And again, shows her the trust Christ put in her, her role (coughs) among the apostles, and why she uh, is so important, you know, in in the story of the New Testament. Mm. Something that I I absolutely love and in solidarity with Pope Francis, I was was called to the priesthood the same day that he was elected. And I've loved seeing the progression of his ministry as Pope. And one of the things that I've I've truly appreciated is the elevation of Mary Magdalene's feast to be associated with that apostolic nature. You know, when when we celebrate the feast of the apostles, you know, the apostle to the apostles, how fitting mm-hmm. that he would take up in lineage the work that John Paul II laid out and really uh, elevate that liturgically in the canon. Yeah, so like Mary Magdalene's Feast on July 22nd will have the same rank as Peter and Paul on June 29th, right? Yeah. It's a really cool. So, I mean, they're, they're saying, look, she has the same dignity as the apostles, although she's not one of the 12. She's not one of the, the apostles. The dignity of her service and her role in, in the gospel is of same rank. Now, again... Not same in mission, not same in office, but same in dignity. And I think that's a great example for the people saying, well, why aren't there women priests? Look, if there was going to be women priests, it would have been Mary Magdalene, and she wasn't a priest, okay? Um, Not just some, you know, chick who's mad that she, you know, she doesn't have the same power as a priest to do stuff. But it's like, you know, before before we get into the, to that conflict or like, you know, that, that uh, debate that, that comes out of the feminist movement. <clears throat> where at the core of the feminist movement, there's just such great beauty because the distinction between man and woman was never really messed with. You know, yeah. like you look at Edith Stein and her work, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. She's one of the most brilliant women that it's ever existed as a philosopher and, and her deposits excellent. Um, but, you know, the outshoots of, of that movement, you know, that creates this whole like kind of battle of the sexes. It's like, no, like look, look to who, 
Mary Magdalene is. Look to how Jesus interacts with Mary Magdalene and look at the operative nature of femininity in relationship to the person of Christ and how that enlivens, you know, community life, how that enlivens man to mm -hmm. respond. You know, we also have this kind of thing right now, well, like, and this is a big thing with Mary Magdalene. You know, you saw this in the Da Vinci Code, and you see this all the time. Jesus <clears throat> was secretly married to Mary Magdalene, right? That's just not And true. they had a child. And they had a child and all this. And it's just a way to... Jesus Jr. <laughs> Jesus Jr. <laughs> somebody, somebody show me Jesus Jr. Dude, it didn't happen. Okay, but again, I think the whole thing that's saying that Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus, and Jesus obviously had to be married, and Jesus was co-equal, you know, to this his wife, again, flows out of this feminist movement to where you have you have to tear down men to make women equal, when that's just not the case, right? So you'll have things like the Gospel of Mary, you'll have things like the Gospel of Thomas, and these are all Gnostic guy gospels yeah, written knowledge written 500 years after you know Jesus was you know ministry and they're all most of them come from Egypt where it was the hotbed of gnosticism and they're all writing their own basically you know christian fan fiction that's basically what mm. all these gnostic gospels were and they were all saying hey we have the secret gospel now if you read it now you pay us i'm sure there was you know i'm sure they were throwing a couple shekels around right like, hey, if you pay us, we're going to let you read the secret gospel. Look, it's on old paper. It's on old paper. <laughs> it's on papyrus. <laughs> you know, but a lot of these things are coming out of that kind of feminist movement because, well, Jesus had to be married and he had to have a woman and the woman had to be equal to Peter in dignity. And there's like this really big um, document 10 years ago. It was from Harvard, the Harvard Divinity School. And there's this uh, professor, Karen King, had this huge press conference, like, right out in front of the Vatican, right? I have found an ancient document, uh, <laughs> and it was called The Gospel of Jesus's Wife, and she was, like, doing the press tours, and, like, this was a serious scholastic, right? She was from Harvard Divinity School. This is not just, you know, some joke on the Internet, right? So she says she found all this stuff, and she so wanted to, she's like, I have proof. Mary Magdalene was greater than Peter and married to Jesus, and Jesus deferred to a woman and all this stuff. And then it was proven incontrovertibly to be a complete fake. And this woman's reputation as a scholastic was completely ruined. And how did it, they prove that? Because I mean, was it on papyrus? Well, it, the, well yeah, where did they, like, how did they, what did they do? Like, most of the time, what happens is they find ancient papyruses that have been faded and papyri? they put, or? The papyri? Papyri. papyri. They find ancient ones papyri. where the ink is faded and put new ink on them. And then you could look at the, the signature and the patina of the ink. So you have an old document. Yeah. So if you were to do uh, carbon dating, it's going to show up sure. as being old. Use microscopes. Yeah. You use In microscopes, short. basically, to look at the ink like and this. whatnots. They're like, <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> like that. You close one eye. You close one eye. <laughs> and you look through a microscope and you know things. And so she unveiled her find just steps from the Vatican because, the, because she thought the fragment could validate her life's work. Claiming a place for women in the early days of Christianity. This is her life's work, and she will believe any document given and to her. And it's through the modern feminist movement yes. looking back. Looking back. 
And there was a place for women in the early church, a prominent place, a place co-equal in dignity to that of the first pope. But look that's at, not good look enough at for Perpetua, you. look that at Felicity, look at St. Catherine of Alexandria, look yeah. at all these like incredible women saints of the of the deposit of faith throughout Rome and throughout Israel, throughout the Middle East. Like, you know, how I, I it's just so baffling to me that we utilize the the modernity of these kind of positions in society and we want to look back with them to try to discover like it's something ancient or right. You're when trying you're, to graft out. It's Gnosticism. But, the, but mm-hmm. the other thing, dude, if 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 you're a thief, man, I mean, she's an easy target. She's a sucker. Because she wants to believe. She wants to believe that's it. Exactly and that's exactly what happened. And so easy to manipulate. It is easy to she manipulate. Bought the yeah. document she probably didn't the even like, check into it at all, you know, unfortunately. Because she, want, I want she to wants believe. to believe it. I want yeah. to believe, right? Yeah. And But that's kind of underlies where this movement's coming from, right? But there's really, I mean, I think scripturally, we can see pretty easily, Jesus was not married. I mean, there's a lot of biblical proofs for this, right? I mean, look at St. Paul talking about marriage in Corinthians. Look, at, like, if he's saying what a good husband would be and not mention that, you know, well, by the way, this guy Jesus that I've been following, he was married and here's what he did. Mm-hmm. He would have mentioned it there, right? Yeah. He wouldn't have just been like using, um, I don't know, anecdotal preaching. He would have said, well, here's the model of, you know, <laughs> Marriage, exactly what Jesus did, right? Blech. You know, um, you know, they were saying that Jesus, Jesus was saying he was the bridegroom, right? You know, as a thing, he wouldn't, he wouldn't call himself the bridegroom. He's already married. Why would you do that? I'm the bridegroom. And his wife would be like, "No, you're not. You're already married, right?" Oh. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of things in Scripture that prove Jesus was not married, even from his own words and the apostles. But words. even even Saint Paul, you know, like in First Corinthians, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the the whole sense of of celibacy and you know the tradition, you know, you know the aspect of John the Beloved being upheld as one of the only celibate, Um, you know, and celibacy preceding um, Jesus in the Essene community and John, the, you know, the Baptist being celibate. So like there, there's this clear sense of, you know, who Jesus was, the Essene community, realizing this in that initial community that what was being encouraged is this form of, hey, you know, Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead now. Mm-hmm. There's really no need yeah. to get married right, right now. <laughs> One of the, my favorite things in the Bible is, and I know this is probably bad, and I'm going to get, I kind of like that Peter and Paul were like brothers and kind of beefed a bit. Mm-hmm. I really like that because mm-hmm. it's so realistic. I mean, me and you will beef every now and again. Like, no, dude, no, you know, it's just dudes, right? That's what you do. And one of my favorite complaints is that <laughs> Paul's like, well, what? I can't get married? Peter was married. What's up with that, right? You know, 1 Corinthians <laughs> 9, 5. Do we have not have the right to take a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and, and Peter? He says that. He's like, well, I'm not allowed to get married. Peter's married. Wouldn't he have said, well, Jesus is married. Why aren't I allowed to, aren't I allowed yeah, to get that, married? That would have been a better argument. That would have been a better argument. tell you, Paul was very sophisticated. In his Paul would not rhetoric. have missed that opportunity. No. Never. I mean, so you can infer this, and there's nothing in there that supports it. The believers would have mentioned it, and there's all these things that negate it. Jesus was not married to Mary Magdalene. It's just, I'm sorry if that ruins your your worldview or the things you want to believe. It's not true. But what is true is that women did have a place in the foundations of Christianity that are so fundamental that they are equal in dignity to the apostles. And still to today. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just, it's evident. 
So what happened to Mary Magdalene after the, you know, the ascension? What happened to her after all this? You know, where did she go? Now, there's two traditions. Um, one is that she went to Ephesus. That's with, more of that Greek line yeah. of, of perspective that she, she went to Ephesus and that's where she died. With, with John, John and Mary. And Mary and then, the you know, they had a nice mm-hmm. little, you know, place, which I've Philip. always want to go to, you know. They've probably eaten olives better than this. Much better. Yeah. Worst olives I've ever had. Um, so that's one tradition that she died from there. Um, another tradition is that she actually had went to southern France mm-hmm. and uh, basically became a hermit there for the rest of her life, you know. Uh, for 30 years after the resurrection, she lived there and then ultimately died um, in St. Maximum La Saint Baume in southern mm-hmm. France. And that's a big tradition. Marseille, yeah. Yeah, Marseille. Um, <clears throat> so... Where are her bones? Good question. That's why I'm bringing this up, because we had promised at the beginning of the episode to show you that recreation of oh, yeah, the face right. of Mary well, I Magdalene. I just want to know where she, her bones are. That might give an indication. Of, so you know. right now, so the, you know, there's some dispute. Some of her bones are said to be in a Greek monastery, uh, Simon Petra Monastery in Greece, right? Her left hand. Her tooth is actually in the Met in New York. Her tooth, I yeah. love it. Which is which is actually really sad no to me. Let me get that tooth, man. No, because I'll go to like the museum in Cleveland and I'll see reliquaries with bones still in yeah. them. And they're not art pieces. They're no, they sacred. They shouldn't be in the know? museum. But what happened is they got into rich people's collection and they got yeah. sold off of the rest of their art donated to the museum. So one of her teeth is in the Met. Um, her foot bone is in uh, San Giovanni di Fiorenti in Italy. But the majority of her relics and her skull is in southern France. And here's a picture of her skull there. Mm, wow. She's got nice cheekbones. Mm. <laughs> You're such a pragmatist, mm. Ryan. I'm serious. Those are nice cheekbones. So what had happened is there's a long history of how those got to get, you know, to be in possession of that church. Some say that they came from the sack of Constantinople with the um, Crusaders. Others say that they had been there ever since she passed away, mm. right? And we don't have time to get into that, but tradition, and most tradition will agree that these are the relics of St. Mary Magdalene. And what they did is they scanned this skull, okay? They scanned this relic and used modern forensic technology to recreate her face. Awesome. This is the first time, I'm sure, for a greater majority of our viewers and listeners. So if you are listening, you are going to want to connect with us on YouTube. And if you are still listening to the show and you haven't given us a thumbs up, or subscribe. Take this a is the time. This is the time to do it, really. Before the face. Before we reveal the face. The face. She's got nice cheap. I'm excited, I'm excited about excited. this, yeah. Okay. So this is using forensic technology to recreate the face of Mary Magdalene. This is what she would have looked like. Wow. Yeah, she looks very Greek. Well, I mean, do you know, she was a... She's a... They did do some scientific examination of the skull, and they said that it was the skull of a woman who would have been in her 50s or 60s who would have been in Mediterranean descent. Wow. Now they couldn't do they couldn't get into deeper analysis because they weren't allowed to from the religious authorities there. But using that, this is what Mary Magdalene would have looked like. This is the face of the apostle to the apostles. And contemplating that this is the face that Jesus would have looked at so lovingly and so mm-hmm. gratefully for her support and so tenderly as his apostle. Wow. 
That's pretty cool. Isn't it's it? Beautiful, mm-hmm. man. Do they do faces of other people? Like they do. Uh, Jesus's face? With the- Bro, they, they've done that. Yeah. I've been to Salamanca and they did a generated um, um, full body, full body rendition of Jesus from the Shroud of Turin. And it is very moving. Yeah. So let's marry Magdalene. You know. Well, what, one other thing. Well, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm just looking at it going. Well, how do they know the color of her hair? I guess from the descent. And well, yeah, the man, color I mean, of her eyes. That's from right. The descent. That's They're right. Just presuming that that's. I mean, right. could she have had blue eyes? But maybe, but very unlikely because the majority of the women of the first century of Judea and Galilee would have had dark hair, darker skin, dark eyes. Wow. Now, it's not like, you know, I mean, they would have looked like they look today, like people from Lebanon, Greek, and Israel. They yeah. would have been, yeah. you know, olive skin, olive, you know, dark brown eyes, dark hair. And But you can look at the uh, skull and look at the musculature. You can look at the grooves that the muscles mm-hmm. left in the bones, and you can get pretty accurate recreations of what they look like. That's great. Father, they use microscopes. Microscopes. How do they look at them? Like that? Like that. You know, and looking microscopically, you know, we realize why we shouldn't embellish. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you know, left to private revelation and meditation and contemplation to, to explore with, you know, curiosity and the spirit of, you know, this interlinear uh, relationship um, is, you know, can be spiritually uh, enriching. However, we always need to return to the primary source. We need to always return to, uh, you know, the scriptures and realize, okay, who is Mary Magdalene more precisely? And <clears throat> realizing who she is and, you know, the, her deposit, you know, and, and realizing that she was at the tomb and first encountered Christ you know, we want to take an opportunity to invite you to go to the very place yeah. where Mary Magdalene first witnessed, you know, Jesus resurrected from the tomb, and that's to the Holy Land. That's right. You know, we're going to be going there January 10th of this next year in 2024, and we're going to be going on an epic pilgrimage, and we're going to be gathering with a number of people from around the country and from the parish of St. John Paul II, and we're going to go and visit the most important sites in Christendom. And it is life-changing. You know, a scripture scholar once said uh, that it is the fifth gospel because it truly speaks to you, the Terra Sancta, the Holy Land. Yeah. We're going to be going there, like you said, January 10th through the 20th of 2024 to the Holy Land. Uh, We're going with Select International, who's one of the very best travel agencies out there. They know how to do it to where you are getting all of the sacred spots you need to go to, but you're going in comfort, you're going in efficiency, and you're going safely. And so the guides are really the good. The guides are amazing. So we're very comfortable traveling with Select. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be going to the Sea of Galilee. We're going to Nazareth. We're going to Cana, where the feast of the, the wedding feast happened with Jesus' first miracle. We're going to Magdala. We are going to see the archaeological excavation of that synagogue in Magdala, where Mary would have probably encountered Jesus preaching. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that we're talking about, the real places we're going to. Uh, we're going to be going to the place where Jesus asked Peter to feed his sheep, you know, the church of uh, the primacy of Peter. We're going to be at the Sea of Galilee. We're going to the Church of the Transfiguration. We're going to the Dead Sea. 
We're going to the Mount of Olives. You Mount know, of the, Olives. We're going we're, to Bethlehem. Yep, we're going to the Church of, of the Nativity, and right next to the Nativity, the, the Milk Grotto, which yeah. is a fascinating place of prayer. You know, there's so many things in between that we're going to see and experience, and this is a trip that we want you to be a part of, but the trip will sell, sell out very quickly. There are already people signing up from previous trips, our alumni. We've really developed an amazing community mm-hmm. that have journeyed with us to Fatima, to Mexico City, and now, properly speaking, to one of the most important pilgrimage sites to the Holy Land. So we want you to be a part of it. So make sure you go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Holy Land, and you'll see this amazing trip, and you could sign up today. Yep. Uh, One of the really cool things, there's two cool things we're doing on that. We're doing a bread meal. So one of the nights, so Select always plans, you know, meals out for you because you got to eat while you're there. Mm. One of those meals is we're going to break up and we're going to go into the homes of local Christians in Bethlehem where they're going to cook for us and we're going to get to meet the actual Christians who are still living in these historic communities. You know, and breaking bread, not at a restaurant, but in a person's home being accepted into there. That's going to be a really powerful experience. It's going to be wonderful. And then a portion of all of the proceeds of this pilgrimage go to support Christians in the Holy Land, to support these historic populations, building hospitals, schools, orphanages and making micro investments in businesses so that Christians continue to support themselves and have a presence in the Holy Land. I do love that our pilgrimages always have that charitable outreach and and to that local community, you know, going back to Mexico City and being able to support Chalco and World Villages for Children. And now to be able to support the Christians in the the Middle East and to the Holy Land is is a a very important job for all of us, uh, you know, to see the plight of our neighbors, to see the plight of our brothers and do something about it. And, you know, we just want to take a moment and express our gratitude to our patrons out there who support the show financially. Thank you for taking care of us to be able to put on this show and to be able to afford the equipment that we need. You're and our Magdalene. You know, yeah, you're really, you are. That's a beautiful way to put it. So thank you so much. And if you're considering becoming a supporter of the show, go to catholictalkshow.com forward slash Patreon. There you'll see all the tiers where you could support us financially, and we have some really cool gear to say thank you as we continue to build out the culture of our show and participate in our universal Catholic faith and continue to grow in the love of Christ and love of neighbor and to become the Mary Magdalene's, the John the Beloved's, the Apostles today. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.